Good morning. Move to Grants Pass, they said. It never snows in Grants Pass, they said. <laughs> Somebody lied. <laughs> A year ago this time, we were living in uh, the Phoenix, Arizona area. Just out of morbid curiosity... Checked the weather app, it is 65 degrees today, right now, with a high of 75. So on that note, (laughs) I'd like to welcome you to uh, to Redwood. Uh, I'm here, I'm here. I'd like to welcome you to Redwood. Um, I'd like to welcome those who are are listening online. I know we've got a bunch who are uh, not able to make it in today and are are listening to this online, so... uh, uh, welcome to everybody, everywhere, who's able to listen to, to what we're going to talk about today. Uh, today's a little different. If, if you're visiting with us, it's a little bit different. Uh, if, if it's your first time or if you've only been coming a, a couple of times, I would like to invite you, please come back next week because it's a n- normal service, normal, normal sermon. We're starting a new series next week and, and we'll be preaching through that. But today I wanted to take a week. Uh, we, we, we wrapped up the Greater Than series last week. Daniel did a great job finishing it up for us. Before we get into the next one, I just wanted to take a week and kind of uh, start the year off, even though it's March already, but start the year off with uh, a little bit of, of where we've been and where we're going. If you guys uh, know much about you know, the way the government works, at the beginning of each year, the president gets up and gives a State of the Union uh, address before Congress. Uh, the governor will get up and do a State of the State address before uh, the state legislature. And a lot of churches are starting to do this, and, and I, I like the idea, I wanted to do it. My goal was to do this uh, back in January, you know, it was closer to the beginning of the year. I just simply wasn't ready to do it uh, this year. Having gotten here in November, it was tough for me to get everything together the way I wanted to, to have it, to present it in January. But my goal is, as long as I'm here with you guys, is that every year we're going to do this, just at the beginning of the year, to kind of look back and say, here's what God did for us in, in, in the previous year, here's where we think God's leading us in the upcoming year. And so uh, that's kind of where we are uh, as a church. And before I get into that, I just wanted to read uh, this passage to you out of, out of the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul's writing this to a, the church in Ephesus. And he says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Skip to verse 11. He says, It was he who gave us the apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the wave and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Uh, I love this metaphor of of the body. 
We talk about being the body of Christ as the church, and and this metaphor of the body works, because you may not just think about it. If you're healthy and and able-bodied, you may not sit and think about the importance of your fingers, or the importance of your toes, or or the importance of, of whatever body part it is you have, but if you've lost use of one of those parts, then you know exactly how important it is to overcompensate if you, if you lose uh, your left hand, how you have to rely on everything else, your right hand, you, you really have to lie, rely on more than just your right hand to make up for the difference. The body of Christ is much the same way. We may not think about that in terms of, of the parts, but it takes all the parts working together, working in harmony to make the church one true body doing its best work. And so that's kind of the purpose of today, is just to look at the body, look at the church, and to move forward. See, I don't, I don't know about you guys. For me, the church is my passion. Somebody asked me, what am I passionate about? And number one's the church. I mean, you, you think about it. What is it that God has called you to do in your life? What is it that God, God wants you to be? And, and for some people, that's, God's called you to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to be, to be somebody who makes a big impact in society. Be somebody, a teacher. Be somebody who has a, a big impact in your world around you. For me, God's brought me here. Those of you who have been coming for the last several weeks, uh, you kind of heard my story a little bit through my sermons about how God led me here. And I don't just necessarily mean two grants past, but I mean as a pastor. God has called me to lead one of his churches. And let me, let me just be very clear with you. This is not a calling I take lightly. This is a calling I take very, very seriously because I take the church very, very seriously. We are the body and the bride of Christ. And I'm so thankful, not only for this church, but for the greater church here in this area. Well, if you know this, there's a group called Church of the Valley. And I love how it's phrased. It's not churches of the valley. It's not all the churches coming together. It's singular, church of the valley. So all the churches, each month get together, the beginning of each, each month we get together for a pastor's breakfast, and we just pray with each other. And we work with each other on how can we as one church impact Grants Pass in this area. And I love that, because even within that larger church, we're all parts of the body. We serve a different purpose, each one of us, but we ultimately serve the same purpose. And so what I want to do with today is, is take just a little bit of time, I want to glance back at, at where we've come in the last year and look ahead at where we're going. Now, obviously, I can't look too far back in the past. I wasn't here for 2016, most of it. But those of you who've been around for a while, you know 2016 was a bit of a weird year here at Redwood. Really be summed up with one word, transition. Beginning of the year, there's two employees here, two staff members here. End of the year, there's three, and it's not the same two that was here the first time. Uh, beginning of the year, the, the senior pastor was Tom Moyers. Uh, Kristen Daniels was here, kind of wore about 15 different hats from what everybody's told me. Not even sure what her title was, but she did a little bit of everything. They both moved on. They followed God's leading to other, other parts uh, of the country to be with family. Tom's with his son and family in Colorado. Talked to him the other day, having a great time. Loving life, being with his family, being with his kids getting to help his, his son at his church. Kristen, we, we've seen her back and forth a couple of times since she left. He's over uh, in central Oregon now, having a great time uh, being closer to friends and family as well. In, in uh, the spring of last year, the church replaced Kristen by hiring Pam Gudekunst to come on and be uh, the administration director. Uh, Pam and Ron are snowed in this morning, so um, I get to brag on her, and, and she can't say anything about it. <laughs> if you don't know Pam, let me just say this. 
when, when I'm, just put it this way, if, I, if I'm in charge of a staff of people, and that's the case here, if I'm in charge of a staff of people, I have one rule for myself, one expectation for myself, and that's that I don't let anybody outwork me. That's not a, it's not a competition. It's not, like, oh, look what Daniel did, I have to one-up him just so I can, no, it's not that. It's that I was taught a long time ago, if you're a leader, that your job is to be the example, not the exception. And so for me, I set the tone for the staff. I want to make sure I'm setting a bar for myself higher than I set for anybody else. So I want to make sure I'm here doing more work because I don't want to ask anybody to do something I'm not willing to do myself. And Pam makes this almost impossible. (laughs) Every day I get here, Pam's here. Sometimes even on her day off, she's here before I get here. Even on Wednesdays when it's her day off, she's here before I am. A lot of times, she's here when I leave. Some of those times, she's left and come back, and she's here when I leave. There is a lot of things that will come up that Daniel and I say, we need to get this done, and Pam's like, oh, I got it taken care of already. I'm like, awesome, cool, thank you. She makes it so much easier for us to just simply focus on ministry and not have to think about anything else. She's got it taken care of. She's got an amazing team built uh, underneath her. And the best part about it, her husband, Ron, one of our elders, he's here every day too. He's not getting paid, and he's here every day because he loves the church, because they love the church. They love working and supporting you all. In June of last year, the church brought on Daniel Baker to be the new youth pastor. Uh, If you have not checked in on a Wednesday night, Come see what's happening on Wednesdays. It is amazing. Daniel is knocking it out of the park. He's got a team built underneath him that's a strong team, a strong foundational supporting team, and they are doing amazing things on Wednesday nights. Right now, the last few weeks, running about 50 or 60 on Wednesday nights with youth coming in. And it's amazing. It's amazing. I got hired in October, got here and got started in November. Um, and it was funny because when I was going through the interview process and it was becoming more and more clear that, that it was going to work on both sides, that, that I was who the church was looking for, the church is who I was looking for, uh, the one thing the elder said to me is, you're in charge of staff. You can hire and fire staff. That's completely up to you. We don't have any say in it. By the way, we just hired you as staff. <laughs> Thanks! <laughs> um, if you've ever been in that position, you know, where, where you come in and, and you basically inherit something that was already put together and that something that's put together is for you, you kind of know you're looking for people who compliment you. You're not, lo- I, I don't want to hire somebody exactly like me. We do a lot of thinking and not a lot of doing a lot of times. <laughs> we do, you know, just, you, you want to get compliments and I had no clue exactly what I was getting with Pam and Daniel, but I can say this, I couldn't have picked a better staff myself to start off with. They are, are perfect. We're perfect complements with each other. Daniel is a perfect complement for me. It, it's great. I mean, he loves people. I don't really so much. So it's great <laughs> how we can work together and mesh with that. But uh, it's great. We, we've got a good nucleus, I believe, to move forward. And if we add staff in the future, we've got a good core to go from right there. Uh, looking back at 2016 as well, uh, just a couple of numbers I want to share with you. Uh, on average, for 2016, we averaged 210 people uh, per service. Um, a little bit of, a, of an asterisk if you take three Sundays off there. I always try to take the extremes off. Take three Sundays off, Easter, Christmas, and uh, the, the day we did church in the park. Because those were the two biggest days by far, and church in the park went in as a zero. 
The average was about 207, 208, 207, somewhere in there. I wish I had a number on baptisms, but we just don't really have one. We, we kind of had a ballpark, but we didn't really have a number on how many were baptized. The reason I'm giving you these numbers is for two reasons. One, I want to use this as a springboard going forward because I want to set a goal for 2017 that takes those up a little bit. I'd like to see all of our numbers go up by about 10%, 10 to 15% each year. Why do you say, why do you say that? Because that's sustainable. That's, that's something that we can handle. If we bring in about 10%, we've currently got the staff to, to handle that, and that allows us to assimilate people a little bit better. Now, if we doubled in size by the end of 2017, and we got 400 and something people coming every week, cool, <laughs> but we've got to really adapt quickly to, to accommodate that kind of people. So we kind of get for a sustainable number. So I'd like to see us by the end of 2017 be running about 230 to 240 on average. That's doable. That's 15, or that's 20 to 30 people uh, more than we have right now. Uh, I'd love to see our baptisms get to a good number, and we'll use 2017 as a baseline moving forward for the, for the coming year. I'd love to see our giving go up a little bit, and I know the giving's been great here, but if the people go up, the giving should come up. And you may say, why are you worried about numbers? Here's why. I'm, I'm not a, just a flat numbers guy. I'm not saying, well, I want us to be 500 people so I can say I pastor a church of 500 people. That's not the, that's not the case at all. The reason I'm saying that is if our numbers are going up on Sundays, that means more and more people are in church. That means more and more people are coming to listen to the word of God. We, we, we pray for our, our family and our friends who aren't in church to come to church. We pray for those that we love to come hear the word of Jesus and to come to Jesus. And then sometimes we're like, well, I don't really care if our numbers go up though. I'm like, well then are we really praying for that? Or is that what we really wanna see is, is the church grow? Is the, is the church expand? I mean, that's our mission. Jesus tells us this, to go and make disciples. And so that's what we're, we're gunning for. And here's the, the other side of that. Number two is every number that comes here represents somebody coming to Jesus. Now, just because they're coming on a Sunday and they're here and it makes that average attendance go up, that doesn't necessarily mean they're coming to Jesus. But that leads to this number back here. That leads to people getting into the baptistry, to people surrendering to Christ, and that's a number I want to see skyrocket because that represents souls coming to Christ. That represents the kingdom of God getting bigger. Now, we're doing the baptism Sunday here in a couple weeks, or next week, actually. Understand this, and this is all on me because I haven't done a good job of this. Every Sunday, this is ready to go. I, I don't do a good job at, at, at letting you all know that. Every Sunday, Sid has the baptistry ready to go. Every Wednesday night, he's got this ready to go. So anytime you want to get baptized, just let us know ahead of time. Let us know the day before. Just, say, just shoot us an email, say, I want to get baptized this Sunday. We'll get it going. We'll make sure it's ready to go. If you want to come in on a Tuesday afternoon and do it, let me know, and we'll get it ready for you. This will always be ready for when somebody wants to be, to be baptized and give their life to Christ. It doesn't have to be here. We can do it at, at your house, in your pool. Uh, like Daniel said, we can do it in the river. It's gonna be the quickest baptism in history right now, but we'll do it in the river. <laughs> if that's what it takes, we make sure I can dig my waders out of a box and we'll go get it done. <laughs> but that's a number that I would love to see go up because that represents people coming to Jesus. That means that we are making disciples. Well, that's a little bit of kind of the numbers. 
this, and, and, and again, the numbers are, they're there, but they also represent a challenge for us because I think we are challenged as the church to get out and grow, to get out and, and spread the gospel. Jesus said that multiple times, go and make disciples. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And what was Jesus sent for? To seek and save the lost. He was sent to serve others, to give life and give it to the full. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. The other thing I want to talk about today, kind of with the state of the church, ever since I got here, the one thing I've wanted to do is kind of solidify who we are as a church at our core. I don't know how many of you realize this. Those of you who've been around Redwood for a while will realize this. But basically, if you look at the last 10 years, I'm the fifth pastor that, that we've had here. You go back to Bob Wood, and then there was a 10-year period. There were, there were three guys that they followed God's lead. They came, followed God's lead to, some, to somewhere else. And now I'm here. And each one of us who's come in has, has tried to kind of focus the church where we think God wants us to point it. So I'm not saying that I'm any more right than any of the rest of them. I just know what God's put on my heart. And part of that is, is as a church, we've kind of scattered ourselves just a little bit internally in, in terms of our structure. And so since I've gotten here, I've worked with the leadership, with, with the rest of the staff, and then we've done this with the approval of the elders. Uh, we have wanted to make sure we re-solidify our structure and, and our core, who, what it is we believe and who it is we are and what it is we're passionate about. And so I, I said earlier that at the top of the org chart is me. I mean, it, it's me and then the staff. But understand this, the elders are beside me, but above both of us is Jesus. That's always going to be the case. That's never going to change. Is we are always answerable to Christ. This is his church. This isn't my church. It's not your church. It's Christ's church. And we get to run it. And so for us, our, our responsibility and where I said my passion is, where I, I take this responsibility so seriously is making sure we're doing it the right way. And again, that's, we're, we're going to agree and disagree at times on what that means, but I feel like it's our responsibility to make sure we're doing this with Jesus' church as best we can. So what we decided to do is lay down in concrete what we believe and what we want to accomplish. So there's two things, and, and some of you have a sheet of paper with them. If you didn't get one uh, of these sheets, they're back there on the table. You can grab one as you go. But you can just look at this, because I wanted in concrete. These aren't new. This is, these have been around for a while. Other churches that are similar to us, uh, we, we've kind of glanced and seen what they have done. Um, and by say, similar to us, I mean Christian churches and the same brotherhood of churches. So I, I wanted to get in concrete what we believe. Mostly because I want you all to know what it is exactly we as a church believe. And if there's ever a question, you can come back to this. This has scriptural backup on all these. And these are kind of umbrellas, but you can see this. So these are what we would call non-negotiables. We as a church believe this is exactly what the Bible's telling us, and this is how we're going to make sure we base everything going forward. So number one, we believe in one God, and he's manifested in three persons. Number two, we believe God is the creator of man and of all things. Number three, we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, the savior of the world. Number four, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that he dwells within every Christian. And I didn't put this on here. We believe that the Holy Spirit enters your life at the moment of salvation and baptism. Number five, we believe that the Bible is the true inspired word of God. And it's the final authority on the matter of, of all things faith-based and spiritual. If you need an answer, it's in here. If you need help finding that answer, we'll help you, but it's in here. Uh, 
Number six, we believe the pattern for salvation. And then salvation is receiving the grace of God, is to believe in Jesus, to repent of your sins, and be baptized by immersion in water. Number six, or number seven, sorry, we believe the church is the body and the bride of Christ, founded on the day of Pentecost, and it consists of Christians all over the world. That's important. It's not just in the United States. Christians all over the world. Number eight, we believe that death seals the eternal destiny of every person. The saved will inherit the kingdom of God. The unsaved will receive eternal separation from God. And number nine, we believe the Bible teaches that God intended marriage to be a monogamous, lifelong relationship between one man and one woman, and his design for sex is exclusively within the biblical context of marriage. Now, some people have read that last one and said, well, I'm on my second marriage. Make it your last one, unless you're separated by death. That's the challenge moving forward. This is what we believe. Again, we as a staff came up with this. The elders have, have seen it. They've given their thumbs up to it. This is our core belief at Redwood. This is going to be, uh, again, if you don't have a copy of this, there's some as you're, as you're leaving. There's some on the table back there. This will be on our website. This is going to be visible. You guys can see this. This is what we believe. There's scriptural backup for where it is on, on why we believe it. But along those lines, we've also decided to come up with a list of core values, because the beliefs basically are where our faith starts and comes from. The values determine what we do with it. Uh, Craig Groeschel is a pastor of Life Church in, in Oklahoma City. Had this quote. He said, "The number one force that shapes your culture is your values. Why? Because what you value determines what you do. When you think about that in your own personal life. What do you value? What is it that's important to you? Is probably what you do. Probably determines what you do with what you have. And so." we decided we're going to come up with a list of core values. And these core values are going to shape how we do ministry moving forward. There's six of them. And, and when we first did these, it was just, just a word, just a word on each one. And then we went back and changed it to a statement. And then we went back and made sure we added an adverb on each statement. Because adverbs not only basically say what you're doing, they say how you're doing it. And later this summer, Later this year, during, during the summer, we actually have a sermon series lined up going through these, and we're going to spend a, a week on each one of these. Uh, the series, it's called Adverbs. That's what we're going to call it. And the subtitle is, How We Do What We Do. And so with each of these, these statements, basically is, is determining what it is that we want to push and do as ministry, within ministry here at Redwood. Number one, we relentlessly pursue a deeper, transforming relationship with God. And with each one of these core values, there's a challenge to you all. We understand the Bible is the infallible, eternal word of God, and that prayer is a communication line through which we can experience God. So we challenge all of our attendees to pray and read the Bible daily. By teaching our families how to seek God's guidance and direction in their lives, we'll grow stronger as individuals and as family units, which will have a profound impact on the kingdom of God. Number two, we genuinely practice authenticity in our worship. What's that mean? What you see is what you get. We are who we are. We're not going to pretend to be anything we're not, and we don't expect anybody to walk through those doors pretending to be anything they're not. This is a place to bring everything with you and leave it here at the foot of the cross. 
We are a community of grace and forgiveness. Everyone is welcome, encouraged, and expected to participate and be authentic in, in their worship. This is a safe and practical place to come as you are and grow as your faith, but this is a place where your complacency will be challenged. Your spiritual maturity will be encouraged. We believe Jesus loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. We challenge all of our attendees to make coming to our weekly service a high priority in their lives. Number three, we passionately love our neighbors. I'm going to flesh this out a little bit more here in a minute. You can just kind of see there, we believe in and follow the great commandment of Jesus to love God and to love our neighbors. Uh, True cultural change starts at home starts in your neighborhood and starts with those people closest around you. So we challenge all of our attendees to develop a new relationship with at least one unchurched person. Number four, we eagerly serve others. We feel every member of the body of Christ is responsible for using his or her physical gifts, energy, time, and finances to help honor God through ministry. We follow the teaching and example of Jesus. We don't come to be served, but to serve. So we believe the church should be intentional in seeking to help the poor And we view the poor as being somebody without some necessity in life. Not just financially poor, but somebody who's without some necessity in life. I look at that and say, that's somebody who's, they don't have everything, they're poor. How can we help them? We challenge all of our attendees to be intentional in looking for how they can meet needs. Number five, we actively participate in community. Uh, We understand that life is not meant to be lived alone. We want people plugged in wherever they are. Family exists and grows in circles, not in rows. What's that mean? It means around kitchen tables, around living rooms, around coffee, coffee bars, wherever. Not just sitting here in pews looking up at me every week. So we challenge all of our attendees to join one of our home groups. Participating in a small group allows for spiritual growth, development, and understanding that simply cannot happen by only attending a weekend service. Our vision is that small groups would multiply and grow, and that through these groups, the communities would be greatly impacted by the church. And number six, and certainly not least, we boldly invest in the next generation. And I'm going to flesh this one out in a minute as well, too. But you can see on there it says, we want to radically invest in the next generation so the future of our church and the future of our community will grow up to understand and know God and grow into spiritual maturity as they grow into physical and emotional maturity. We challenge all of our kids and students at Redwood to learn how to follow Jesus daily. And folks, they do that by looking at us. They're going to do that by watching us. See, here's the, the, the thing about these values. Unless these become action, it's just a piece of paper. Unless these shape what we do, then they're meaningless. They're just cool words to put up on the wall on a, on a poster or a sign. These have to be our foundation. I, I told the elders, I said, I, I want our, our beliefs and our, our values, I want those to be locked in. That's why I, I bounced them off them about every week. I've been sending them to them with updates, saying, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think? And I don't know if they got tired of me saying it over and over or, or finally gave me the full thumbs up. Those are concrete. Those don't change. Our vision will change from time to time. Our mission will change from time to time. The values and the beliefs, they don't change. And I like to think of it this way. As a church, and, and, and me as a pastor, I'm like a, a dog on a chain that's buried in that concrete. And I'll go as far as that chain will let me go, but it's always grounded and anchored in our beliefs and our values. What are we willing to do 
to make sure we hold true to who the church is. See, we're a, a Christian church. It, that, that name Christian church is, is it's, we're independent, but we're part of a brotherhood. We're part of a network of, of independent Christian churches. We belong to what's called the, the Stone Campbell Movement or the Restoration Movement. And the thing I love about that movement is it was founded on this quote. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. In essentials, unity. What are essentials? These. Beliefs. Jesus, God, salvation, baptism, Holy Spirit. Those are essentials. From a a more of a, uh, just a a church-centric standpoint, it'd be our values. Those are essentials. They're things that we don't divide over. They're things that we don't argue over. What are non-essentials? In in non-essentials, liberty. What are non-essentials? How the pastor dresses when he gets up here and preaches. What kind of songs we do? Is music too loud, too soft? End times theology. Those are non-essentials. Those aren't things that are gonna change whether or not we make it to heaven based if we agree or disagree on those things. But in all things, love. See, at the the end of the day, when it boils down to it, whatever it is that within the church itself we think is important or not important, none of it can become more important than Jesus. None of it can become more important than God. None of it can become more important than trying to get to what it is we want to get to. And that's reaching this valley for Jesus Christ. There's a truth here that we can't ignore. And that's this. The church is only a strong as it is unified. It's only as strong as it is unified. And friends, I think of it this way. One of the tasks that I'm given as, as pastor and, and the, the leadership, the, the, the rest of us staff and the elders, one of the things that we have as a responsibility that we cannot ignore is we have to be good stewards of the resources God's given us. That's time, people, money. We have to be good stewards of that. So we have to make sure we're utilizing it for its best purposes moving forward. So unity, we have to have unity as a church. One more thing I want to look at that we want to focus on moving forward into 2017 and beyond is this thought of having a kind of a a focused target. In other words, who is it we want to go after as a church? Now you may look at me and say, well, Pastor Kurt, we want to to reach everybody. We, we, We want to reach everybody that we can. And I agree with that. We should reach everybody that we can reach. But here's a simple fact. Churches that try to reach everybody often do a poor job of reaching anybody. Churches who just want to make sure they appease everybody and and make sure that that they've got enough uh, variety in what they do to appease everybody often don't reach anybody. They just appease who goes there. Again, I think our, our job is to grow the church. Not for my sake, for your sake, but for God's sake. So we're going to look at focusing our target to three groups of people. doesn't mean that we don't care about anybody outside of these three groups, but we're going to focus on three groups because we think that that gives us the best chance at maximizing our resources to, to reach the most people we can. The first is we want to reach the man. Now hear me out, ladies. This is not saying I don't value you. I've got a wife and two daughters. I absolutely value you. But... We want to reach the man in order to reach the family. Now, why you say, why do I say that? Because the stats and the numbers back this up. 
David Morrow, in his book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, has this stat with the research to back it up. When a mother comes to faith in Christ, the rest of the family follows her 17% of the time. So think about it. You've seen mom here with the kids. You don't see the husband. You don't see dad. You see that quite often. But when the father comes to faith, the rest of the family joins him 93% of the time. Now forget for five seconds we're a church. If I told you we've got two options, we can go after number one and you might make your sale 17% of the time or number two and you'll get it 93% of the time, that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer, right? So by reaching the man, we have a better chance to reach the family. And again, reaching our culture, reaching our community, it starts in the homes. It starts in the homes and it starts in the neighborhoods. Again, ladies, it's not a chauvinistic thing. It's not a, well, we're going to get manly around here. No, it's not that. It's we believe if we can reach men and teach them to be leaders in their homes and leaders in their jobs, that this community can be impacted in an amazing way for God. Number two, we want to reach the next generation. I don't think that it was any coincidence that at my age, God opened the door for me to come to Redwood Christian Church. I don't think that at all. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, look how young I am compared to the rest of you all. Because some of you, two of you, are younger than me. (laughs) But, folks, there's a, a hard truth we have to look square in the eye and understand. If we fail to reach the next generation, then the church, I don't mean Redwood, I mean the church, is one generation away from extinction. If we fail to reach the next generation, the church is one generation away from being non-existent. I don't know how many of you keep up with the millennial generation. Millennials are people between the ages of about 20 and 34. I refuse to acknowledge that I'm one, but technically I am. People born between 1982 and 1997. The core of of the next generation of leaders in America. Only 20% believe attending church is important. 20%. This stat broke my heart. 59% raised in church have dropped out and have no interest in going back. And this stat scares me. 35% are anti-church. One-third believing the church does society more harm than good. Now, you can say they're wrong, you can disagree with them, but that's what they believe, and right now their minds aren't being changed. So what are we, the church, going to do about it? Because right now, this is the one age group that is the least likely to go to church. And if you go back just six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago, look at the way this generation voted. I'm not talking about even in in the, the general elections, in the primaries, and not just the presidential elections, all of them. Look at how they voted, and you see where they're passionate about you see where, they, where their thoughts are, and they are united in their thoughts. Again, only 20%. That's an overwhelming number of, of millennials who don't think church has any importance. And knowing a lot of millennials, my former students, I can tell you those numbers are not overblown. Those numbers are on the money. Folks, we have to be intentional of reaching the next generation. What does that mean for us as a church? It means maybe we have to let go of something we don't want to let go of to make sure the church endures. 
Make sure that the church goes on beyond us. I hope the church outlives me. I'm 34, and I hope the church outlives me. I don't know how many years I've got on the planet. I hope more than a few. But I hope the church is here a lot longer than I am. So what are you willing to let go of? President Bill Clinton said this, the price of doing the same old thing is far greater than the price of change. President Clinton said that. (laughs) Number three. (laughs) I knew there was going to be one. I just didn't know it was going to be you, Alan. (laughs) Number three. We want to reach our neighbor. Reach our neighbor so we can reach our culture. Matthew, uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 22 when he's trying to be tricked. The, 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 the Pharisees are trying to stump him. They say, what's the greatest commandment? And he gives them two answers. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the thing I love about this, when you, when you look at the parallels, somebody says, well, who's my neighbor? And you know the answer he gives them? Let me tell you this story about this race of people that you despise and look down on. Because there's one of them that did something that none of you guys did. See, there was this guy who was, who was beaten up and, and left for dead, and two of you walked right past him. Two of you church people walked right past him and left him for dead because you didn't care. But this guy, this guy that you looked down on as being inferior, stopped and took care of him. We know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. We think Samaritan being this, this good thing. Jews hated Samaritans. They were a half-breed, a lesser people. And Jesus said, he did what you should have done. Love your neighbor as yourself. That was his response to that question. Who is my neighbor? This guy that you hate. This guy that you think is less than you. He's your neighbor. He's your neighbor. Too often, I think, we're willing to, to get on a plane and go across the world and, and go serve a mission somewhere third world country or or somewhere we're willing to to serve people that we think are just completely without Christ, but often the most important and the most difficult trip you'll ever take is not across the world, it's across the street. It's looking your neighbor face to face and letting him see Jesus in you. I mean, I'll be honest, I look in the mirror every day and understand that truth. Seeing your neighbor, seeing your coworker every day, seeing, uh, if you've got kids on a baseball team, seeing the same set of parents for the next two months. What are you willing to do to be Jesus in their life? What are you willing to change to be Jesus in their lives? That's a little bit of a glimpse of, of where it is we're trying to head for 2017. We've got our core values, we've got our core beliefs, and we're focusing our target. We really believe this church can grow and make a huge impact for Jesus. I've said it from day one when I came in August. My hope is that Redwood Christian Church makes Jesus famous. This church can grow not for the sake of the leaders, not for the sake of me, but for the sake of Jesus. I don't care if I get famous. I want Jesus to be famous. And here's why. Because when the church is doing its job, It's the most powerful force for good and for God in the world. There is no 
disputing that. When the church is doing its job, there's not a charitable organization, there's not any kind of, of nonprofit that can do the, the, the same type of good the church can do in the world. That's our challenge, Redwood, as we move forward, is that we get back to doing good for God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for you. And God, I am so thankful for this church, for this body who is just willing to love you and serve you and, and, and to do your work here in this area. God, I ask for your hand upon this group today, Lord, that they would just embrace you, embrace the unity in you, God, and despite maybe some of our differences or our disagreements on, on what is or is not important, God, we would be unified for you. God, we would always have you and your mission at the front of our minds. So God, I pray for this body, I pray for this group. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.